Good morning. Man, I'm excited to be here this morning. Are you excited to be here? I don't know why. I just, I, I literally, I don't, I'm not normally a morning person, but as soon as I got moving this morning, I was amped up. So I apologize for whatever happens here in a few minutes. I'm just excited, and I'll be honest with you, I have, I have a long, uh, actually a few different stories to tell, and I'm going to have to do a whole lot of paraphrasing, okay? And so I just encourage you to stick with me. If you have your Bibles, turn them to uh, the book of Joshua, please. And uh, I want to give you just a little bit of background before we get started, but basically here's, here's how the book of Joshua kicks off. Uh, Moses has just passed away. Now, Moses was the guy that followed God and led the Israelites, which are God's people, out of bondage in Egypt. Now, Moses' job was to lead them to the promised land, into the promised land. And Moses leads them all the way way to the Jordan River. And just on the other side of the Jordan River is the promised land. And unfortunately, because of a sequence of events, Moses and that generation of people were not allowed to enter the promised land. Okay? So everybody got all that? It's a a whole lot of history in just a second. So when the book of Joshua kicks off, we find out that now there is a new leader. After Moses passed away, there is a new leader, and his name is? Good job. All right, good. I like to make sure everybody's connected, okay? You're thinking about it. It's good. The new leader is Joshua. Now, Joshua was Moses' apprentice. He was his friend, and he had studied under Moses. They were very close. Now, God commissions Joshua to take this new generation of people across the Jordan River and into the land that he had promised them. And I want to read this commission with you. Uh, So it's in uh, Joshua chapter 1, verse 3, and this is what it says. God, this is God speaking. I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set foot, you will be on land I have given you. From the Negev wilderness in the south to the Lebanon mountains in the north, from the Euphrates River in the east to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, including all the land of the Hittites. Now, this is the important part. Read verse 5. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. Now, read this with me out loud. Let's do this together. Okay, a little practice. For I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. Now that sounds like a pretty sweet deal, right? That sounds pretty awesome. Would you agree with that? That sounds pretty cool. God just told Joshua, he said, here's the deal. You're going to take these people into the the promised land. You're going to lead them and I'm going to lead you. And here's the deal. I'm going to be with you every single step of their way. There will not be a day that I am not with you. And it's important that you get that this morning, okay? That's what he told Joshua. I'm going to be with you every single step of the way. Now, Joshua knew this. Going into this promised land, there were groups of people. Where, uh, that were already inhabiting this land, that they were going to have to fight and take this land from. He knew all that going in. He knew it wasn't going to be easy. It was going to be difficult. But he knew one fact, and that was that God was going to be with him. So Joshua readies his people to cross the Jordan River, right? He gets them ready. I'm sure they packed up their tents. They, they got the DVD players and the TVs and everything loaded up on the, the vans. And they took off, and they're going to cross the Jordan River. And imagine, imagine how excited they are. I mean, this is a generation of people. They're finally going to get to see God's promise come to fruition. They're finally going to get to see the promised land that he's always promised them, that they've been staring at, you know, looking at across the Jordan River that they hadn't been able to go to. They're excited. They get right there to the Jordan River, and Joshua looks at all of them, the entire, all of the Israelites, and he goes, now stop, 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 stop. I want you to stop a minute, and I want you to hear what God has to say. That's important, guys. you got to get that. 
He makes everybody stop. As, as excited as they were, as amped up as they were, he makes them all stop right there on the shores of the Jordan River before they take one stop and he makes them, or one step, and he makes them stop. And he goes, here's the deal, guys. We need to have a quiet time. We need to hear what God has to say to us. And they spend some time right there. And then it says that when the first priest's foot touched the edge of the Jordan River, that the flow of the river stopped. It stopped completely. And every single Israelite crossed across the Jordan River on dry ground. Now I'm going to ask you a question. Does that sound like God was with them? Absolutely. At that time, the Jordan was overflowing its banks. And upriver at a nearby town, it just stopped flowing and allowed every single one to cross across on dry ground. Now the first place the Israelites come to is a city called, can anybody tell me? Anybody? It's like five points. What? Any? Jericho. The first city they come to is a city called Jericho. Now Joshua, they, they, they camp in a town nearby or a small little village nearby. They camp and they're looking out at Jericho. And, Jer- and Joshua decides that what he's going to do is he's going to send a couple of spies into the city. You can tell I'm paraphrasing a whole lot right here, okay? He sends a couple of spies in the city and they, they make friends with this lady named Rahab. And Rahab helps them out. And they get out of the city, they kind of, you know, they, they survey what's going to happen, and they get out of the city, and they make it back to Joshua. And when they get back to Joshua, here's the report they give him. It's exactly what Joshua expected. He says, they basically say, this is going to be, this is going to be tough. This is a large city. For that day and time, this was a large city. They have strong warriors. They have the high ground. They have two walls. The way the Jericho walls were was actually it was two walls. This is just the... Just some stuff I've researched for us. There's actually two walls. The first wall was like 15 foot tall, and then there was a little bit of an embankment, and then there was another wall that was about the same height. And in between those walls were towers meant for defense. The spies said, Now they knew they knew we were coming. They're scared. They know how large of a crowd we are. But they're ready. They've been preparing for us. Now, it's in this time as they're camped, or, you know, camped right there near Jericho that Joshua, and I went and I just counted them up because I was curious. Joshua has four conversations with God during this time. Okay, and they're about different things. One of the conversations was about purifying themselves, this new generation of Israelites, before they headed into battle. Other conversations was just about what Joshua needed to say to his people in order to prepare them for the battle that was coming up. But I imagine just this time, Joshua's just taking his time. Everybody's preparing for battle. And Joshua, uh, as, he's, as, he's take, as, as he's preparing, he's preparing himself, uh, he goes out for walks. And on one of these walks, he's walking around the, his encampment. And I imagine he comes down this alley, and standing in the alley is this man, this pretty impressive man from what I understand, probably like myself. And he is, he's wielding a sword, Okay? That's just how I see it in my mind, is this alley guy wielding a sword. And Joshua asks him this question. He says, wait, are you a friend or are you an enemy? Now, that's a valuable question to ask somebody when they're standing there holding a sword, you know? Are you a friend or an enemy? And the, and the guy's response absolutely shook Joshua. He said, I am a commander of the armies of the Lord. So it's an angel. It's either, what I understood from just doing a little bit of research, it was either an angel, a very important angel, or it was a pre-gospel appearance of Jesus himself. So this guy's standing here, 
wielding a sword. He just told him, I'm a commander of the armies of the Lord. What do you think Joshua did? He hit his knees. He was just, he bowed before him. And Joshua, as soon as he hit his knees, this, just kept, this caught me so off guard. As soon as he hit his knees, he asked him a very a specific question. He says, what do you command me to do? That's what I'd have been doing. I'd have been having to sneak peeks. I'd make sure he ain't going to cut my head off with that sword. <laughs> what do you command me to do? That's what Joshua asked him. The guy said, here's, what, here's, here's the deal. The angel said, I guess I should quit calling him a guy. He said, here's your orders. Here's what you're going to do. I want you to take every single person, all of the Israelites, and I want you to walk around the city of Jericho. I want you to walk all the way around the city of Jericho. And when you have the city fully encircled, I want you to get seven priests to blow their horns. I want you to do it once a day for six days. And then on the seventh day, here's what I want you to do. I want you to walk around that city seven times on the seventh day. And on the seventh time, when you get the priest to blow their horns, I want you to give the army a command, and that is to scream and yell and hoot and holler, as we say in the South. And when you do, the walls are going to come falling down around the city of Jericho. Now, when that happens, you call the attack. And when you get in there, here's what God wants you to do. He wants you to kill every living thing you see in Jericho. Kill everybody. Kill every living thing. Then He told Joshua, he said, now this is the other thing I want. You're going to take the gold and the silver and the things of value that you find there and you're going to dedicate it to the Lord. It becomes God's. Every treasure you find in there, dedicate it to God. I've got to be honest with you guys. That's nuts. Is that not crazy to y'all? I mean, it sounds awesome. But to me, that absolutely sounds crazy. Illogical. The angel never says fire a shot. He doesn't say dig a tunnel and infiltrate the walls. He doesn't tell them to build a Trojan horse and get soldiers into it so they can sneak them into the city and then they can open the gates. He says, march around it and toot your horns. And on the last day, do that seven times, toot your horns again, yell a little bit, and the walls are going to come falling down. That sounds good. Are y'all, are y'all okay? You okay? I'm just, I feel like I'm the only one that thinks it's weird, you know? To you and I, this was crazy, but to Joshua, it sounded like a good plan, apparently. He shared it with his commanders, and on the first day, that they marched around the city and blew the horns. On the second day, they did the same thing. They did the same thing for the next four days. And on the seventh day, they got up ready for the last hoorah, and they did exactly what they were supposed to do. They walked around the city seven times. They blew the horns on the seventh, on the seventh time, or when they blew the horns, everybody started yelling. And guess what happened? Stephen, tell me what happened. Go ahead, man. Wells came tumbling down. Thank you, brother. It was awesome. They went inside. They, they took care of business. It was a complete annihilation, a landslide, a landslide victory. It was one of, I don't, I don't know, I was trying to think of like something to compare it to. You know what I mean? Like just to put it in your mind of how big of a blowout this was. 
God was with them. And they were absolutely victorious. No question. Y'all agree with that? Now, I'm sure they savored the victory. I don't know exactly what happens. It's a pretty short amount of time, apparently. I'm sure they celebrated. And Joshua is ready to continue on. He moves his army forward. Uh, they continue take to, to, to continue taking on the promised land. And next on the list was a small town called Ai. You ever heard of it? Raise your hand if you've heard of it. Okay? Small town called Ai. And he was ready for the next part of the process. And so the, the very next thing it says is Joshua sent a couple of spies, just like he did at Jericho, right? He sends a couple of spies into the town of Ai. And they make it back to him. And this is the report they give. And I, you're going to read this with me. Joshua chapter 7, verse 3. When they returned, they told Joshua, there's no need for all of us to go up there. It won't take more than two or 3,000 men to attack Ai since, since there are so few of them. Don't make all of our people struggle to go up there. Now, I want you to think about this for just a second. They don't think much of Ai, do they? I mean, I mean you, you just, they just don't think much of it. They didn't take all the, it was like, man, look, Jericho, man, you know what has happened over there? We whipped them, you know. God sent the walls tumbling down like Stephen said so eloquently. This place is small. It's not fortified like Jericho was. Be honest with you, Joshua, I'd send two or 3,000 troops up there. Take care of business. Be done with it. Now, I want you to read this with me because this is so important. Verse 4. So... Approximately 3,000 warriors were sent. Wait a second. Joshua reacted immediately, didn't he? Spies give their report. Joshua goes, okay, yep, sounds good. So we'll send 3,000 soldiers up there. They sent 3,000 soldiers, but they were soundly defeated. The men of Ai chased the Israelites from the town gate. Now, I want you to think about this. The Israelites just won this incredible victory at Jericho. Now they are on the run, trying to get down the slope away from this town that seems so insignificant. They chased the Israelites from the town gate as far as the quarries, and they killed about 36 who were retreating. They were shooting them in the back as they were running down the slope. And this is important, too. The Israelites were paralyzed with fear at this turn of events, and their courage melted away. There's a significant difference here. Following this defeated Ai, it says that Joshua and some of the other leaders, they tore their clothes. They were in mourning, and they hit their knees. And it says that Joshua hit his knees before God, and he said he began to beg God. He said, God, why would you allow this to happen? Why would you, why would you let us be defeated like this? We, why couldn't we have just been happy on the other side of the Jordan River instead of you bringing us over here just so you could let us get our butts kicked? Can I say that? I hope so. Why would you do this to us, God? And immediately, in this story, immediately we see that God answers him. And God points out, he says, Joshua, brother, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Why are you begging like this? You have a problem in your camp. You have a problem in your people. 
God points out to Joshua, he said, look, here's the deal. Someone in your camp decided to take some gold and some silver for themselves from the city of Jericho. They have sinned against me. And you need to find out who it is and you need to clean it up. You need to fix it. And if we went on in this story, we would find out that it was a man named Achan and his family. And they had stolen gold and silver from Jericho and they had buried it to to hide, to keep for themselves. And normally, that's what I would preach on. That's what I'll preach on because Achan's sin, impurity in the ranks of the army, prevented God from being involved in the battle at Ai. Do you see that point? Do you see it? Makes sense? God literally says it himself. But that's not what that's not what got me this week. That's not what struck me. Because I realized that this thing turned into an absolute mess. But it wasn't just because of Achan's sin. Achan's sin was a problem. But I noticed something else and I want to see if you agree with me. There is a major difference in the preparation for these two battles that stands out. And I believe that discrepancy teaches us a valuable lesson. Here's your, I'm going to go ahead and give you the lesson, okay? And then you, see, you, tell, me, you tell me if we see it. All right, here's the lesson. Involve God now or clean up a mess later. Involve God now or clean up a mess later. Here, let's go through it together. Let's talk about these two battles. God was heavily involved in the planning and the preparing for the battle at Jericho. Think about the two stories I just told you. And I know I paraphrased them a lot. And if you want to go and read you know, Joshua 1 through 8, I think that's a great idea. But God was heavily involved in the planning and preparing. Five different times, God had a, uh, Joshua had a conversation with God after they crossed the Jordan River before they attacked Jericho. Five different conversations. One of those conversations being about purifying themselves before they go into battle. Another one of those those conversations was literally a conversation where he met with God or a commander of the armies of God in person. In person. In those conversations, God promised Joshua some things. Literally promised him. He promised them that they would be successful. He foretold of the destruction of the city and their victory over the walls and the warriors of the city of Jericho. God gave him complete instructions for every single Israelite involved or or, or in Joshua's charge. He gave him specific instructions. Here's the plan. Here's how I want you to do it. They, the Israelites, before the battle of Jericho, knew exactly what God wanted them to do, and they knew exactly what would happen if they did what God wanted to do, if they, if they, did in, uh, if they acted in accordance with God's wishes. They knew exactly what was going to happen, and because of that, they were, full of, they were full of confidence and excitement. They knew exactly what was going to happen. Now look at the battle of Ai. Fast forward. There is not one mention of a conversation with God prior to the battle, not one. No prayer from Joshua to God. No mention of God speaking to him. No visit from the commander of the armies of the Lord. No promises were made. God never said, 
I'm going to deliver AI. I don't know if God has a deep voice, but I'm going to deliver AI into your hands. There's nothing, nothing like that, like there was with Jericho. There was no plan given or list of instructions for Joshua or the people of Israel. There wasn't an illogical, crazy request like, hey, man, stand on one foot when you fight the soldier. I mean, there was nothing, nothing like that. Joshua and the Israelites acted completely on their own. Their decisions weren't based on what God told them to do because they never spoke with him. I don't know if it was a high from victory or just that things were going so well or maybe they were just in a hurry or whatever, but they didn't stop and listen like they did on the shores of the Jordan River. There's no mention of that. They didn't pause to make sure that they were purified like they did on the outskirts of Jericho. Joshua never hit his knees that it is mentioned in the Bible. He never hit his knees and said, God, are we good to go? Is everything like you want it to be so that we can move forward on to the next battle? Never asked that question. He never hit his knees and said, God, what do you command me to do? Never. It's not mentioned. They didn't notice that God wasn't involved. They didn't notice that God wasn't speaking to them. And the evidence was absolutely there before the first shot was fired at Ai. The evidence was there before the first Israelite warrior fell dead on the battlefield. At Jericho, God was involved. Joshua spoke with God. God spoke with Joshua and led him and guided all of the Israelites to an absolute victory over Jericho. At Ai, God was not involved. Joshua never spoke with him. There's no mention of any conversations happening. And they never knew beforehand that someone had sinned against God and that God was not going to be involved. So they ended up being defeated. Their warriors were killed and the army was left paralyzed with fear and doubt. All right, look at me. Everybody, give me a camera. Let me have your eyes just a second. It's important you understand. Okay, it's important to me that you understand. Aiken's sin was a problem. Okay? It was the problem for God being involved in the battle of Ai. Okay? So make sure you get that because I'm not, I don't want you to miss that. Okay? But I believe it would never have gotten as out of hand as it did if someone had involved God beforehand or noticed that he had grown silent. It would have been a problem for Achan and his family regardless. But not involving God or noticing that he wasn't involved ended up costing dozens of other families. It ended up costing all of the Israelites as they spiraled, as their as their courage just melted away to nothing as they spiraled out of control into doubt and fear I believe if the same care had been taken before the battle at Ai as was taken before Jericho the results would have been very different if Joshua had asked God for his orders the first thing on God's list would have been to deal with the sin in the camp that's the first thing God would have said And the next thing that God would have done was said, okay, now we deal with that sin. Now here's the deal. I have a plan for defeating Ai. 
I know what you should do, and here's what you should do. You should send every soldier that you have up there. Send every person, every soldier that you have up there for this fight, because them boys is tough. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to get up in front of the city. I want you to draw them out. But I want you to have a bunch of soldiers, a bunch of warriors behind the city. And when you draw those soldiers out, I want them to attack from behind the city. And I want you to burn the city down. And then you're going to have the army pinched between you. Do you want to know how I know that's what God would have said? If Joshua would have asked him before. If somebody. You want to know how I know? Because as soon as Joshua hit his knees, after they were defeated, defeated at Ai, that's exactly what God told him. That's exactly what God did. In our lives, we have the exact same choice. Y'all aren't mad at me, are you? Okay, just want to make sure you feel, feel like you might be mad at me. In our lives, we have the exact same choice. We can involve God now, or we can clean up a mess later. All week, I couldn't help but think of the areas in our lives where God should be involved. And by the way, I could, I could generalize it to just, you should involve God in every aspect of your life, but I don't want to do that. I want to, make this, I want to make this real to you, okay? I want you to make sure you see this. Right now, we have a choice to involve God in our marriages. We have a choice to involve God in our children's lives, uh, in our families, in, fi- in our finances, in our careers, in our decision-making every single day. In every conversation we have, we have the opportunity, we have the choice to involve God in it beforehand or not. You see what I'm saying? Does everybody agree with that? You have the choice. Involve God now or clean up a mess later. And I'll be honest with you guys, as a pastor, okay, the staff of this church, man, we have the opportunity, and it is a blessing, and it's our calling to, to have conversations with people, okay? And a lot of times when people pick up the phone and they call us and they want to have a meeting or they want to talk about something, I'll just be honest with you. It's normally not good stuff, okay? And that's okay. I'm not, don't, please don't think that I'm, you know, talking bad about this, but it's just normally not good stuff. But I'll tell you guys, I've I've sat across from people, sorry, I've sat across from people, we talk about their marriage, and we start talking about it, and they say, man, here's the deal, you know, I say, well, say, what's going on? What's happened? You know, what, what, what's, what's going on in their marriage? And I'm telling you, they're going to talk about, they're going to talk about unfaithfulness. They're going to talk about lying. They're going to talk about selfishness. And I'm telling you, that's the sin stuff, okay? That's the stuff that ultimately, I agree with 100%, is a, is a problem in a marriage. It's ultimately going to lead to the destruction of the marriage. But I cannot tell you how many times as we sat there and we talked and we cried together or whatever that we got to a place where we looked and we said, you know what the deal was? God wasn't here. He wasn't. Maybe on one side, but not on the other. Maybe. Not at all. God wasn't involved in how I love my wife. God wasn't involved in how I should have loved my husband. I didn't look to him to lead me in how I did this, how I pursued this relationship. Through prayer, requesting guidance, our time in the Word, and just generally asking the question regularly, 
God, what do you want me to do? We can involve God. We have the choice right now to involve God in how we raise our children. We have a choice right now to involve God in our marriages. Right now. Today. When it comes to our children, how we teach them, how we discipline them, all of that stuff is in the Bible. He's sitting there wanting you to ask him what you should do about your kids. And I'm telling you, I have a two and a half year old. I ask him often, what do you want me to do with her? You know? We have the opportunity right now to involve him in our finances. I tell you, I, I've seen it. I've talked about it. I've talked it till I was blue in the face before. We, you look at somebody's financial situation. They come to talk to us or whatever, and we look, and their finances are in shambles. They're in debt, and they're having this problem, or they're in the, you know, whatever. They're just, uh, their finances are a mess. And you know what is absolutely obvious is that God wasn't considered not one bit in the planning of their finances. He was never asked is this okay? God, what do you want me to do? We have the opportunity, we have the choice to involve God in our decisions before we make them. Y'all do pros and cons? Any of y'all married couples, y'all do that, pros and cons? It's a very, I mean, it's like you, you learn it in fifth grade, but for some reason it never goes away. And so we do pros and cons. We make our list. And Brittany and I like to do it. We talk it most of the time, kind of like, well, I think this would be good, but this would be bad, this would be good. You know, if at the top of that pros and cons, if at the top of it is it pleases God or it doesn't pleases God, and the answers to those two questions, if it's not at the top, then you're probably not doing it right. We have the choice to pray, to involve God and pray about a difficult conversation we're going to have. We can ask him for things like keep us calm and keep us clear and help our words to be your words. We can ask him stuff like that. Or we can just step into the conversation on our own free will and say what we want to say and, and you know, go about it like we feel it ought to go. That always works out great. i got a question for you. Do you hear him leading you in your life through the word, through prayer, or other believers that he's put around you? Do you see, do you see him showing you things and teaching you things and showing you where he wants you to go or telling you what, you want you to, or what he wants you to do or what he wants you to say? Because if you don't feel it, you don't hear him, there's a good chance, and you're not trying to involve him there's a good chance you're headed for a mess. Monday, we got half a day off. And uh, we came in and have our meetings because it's just Monday meetings are super important and they kind of set the tone for what everybody's got to do. So we came in and uh, we had our morning, morning meetings and stuff and then we left. And we were going to be off for the half day on the 4th of July. I was super excited, you know. So I get home and... Uh, any time I get time and I don't have the kiddos and I got some time, I do farm work. That's what I want to do. So I jump on the tractor and I got my bush hog on and I went and I just started bush hogging stuff. I was just cutting stuff. It didn't matter if it needed it or not. I was just cutting it. I was having a blast on Monday. 
And uh, so I'm out there and I'm doing that. And on the way back, I'm, I got a little bit of extra time, but I'm kind of headed back to the barn, going to check a few things at the house. And, and on the way back to the barn, I noticed uh, my box stand, this tree stand. Uh, can I have the picture? See that box stand right there? Okay, so I see this tree stand, and I've been wanting to move this stand for a couple of years. And, uh, but I've always, every time I'd look at it, I'd say, you know, I need to move it, but I'll wait until I get a little bit of help to move it. And so, uh, for some reason, I, I had been flying around, man. I was just, I was in a hurry. I was getting so much work done. I look at this tree stand, you say, you know what I'm going to do? So I'm going to move this thing. Now, when I put it up, it was laying on its side. And so, immediately, that's what I think I need to do. I need to lay this thing down on its side. I'm going to drag it to where it needs to be, and I'm going to stand it back up. And so, I get out of the tractor, okay? This thing's heavy, all right? It's not, I, I mean, I'm a strong guy, and I'm thinking, it's heavy, but it's not that heavy. It's not too heavy. I can, I can maneuver it around. And so I get, and I grab the, the top of the leg right there, and I go, ha! Ha! It will not move. So it's all right. It's all right. I got a tractor. First thing that popped my mind, I said, I got a tractor. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take, I'm going to hook up a strap, and I'm going to tip this bad boy over. Right? And so, but I didn't want it to fall, so I just thought I would tip it until it got right to the cusp of falling down, and then I would get out and lower it down myself. Right? Makes perfect sense. Don't you agree? So here's what I said. So I hooked up the strap. Now listen to me, listen to me. So I hook up the strap. I begin to tip this thing. And it tip, and I get it right there at the edge. I can tell she wants to go. And I get down out of the tractor. I go over there, and I start to pull the stand down. Now when it does, I realize it's too heavy for me. So I get it, and I'm like, I'm under it. I mean, I'm, it's straining me. I'm struggling, okay? So I get the stand. I kind of put my shoulder in it, you know, and I start lowering it down. And I look, and unfortunately, the strap was not long enough that I had. And now the stand is going to fall, and it's going to break the window out of it on the corner of the bucket of the tractor. Okay? So you're seeing, you're seeing what's happening here? So I look, and I go, gosh, i got to push this thing back up. So I begin to push it back up, but when I, all of a sudden I realize that the slack in the rope has hooked around the bottom of the bucket. And now I can't push it up any higher than this. And I don't have any extra hands. So I have this stand that weighs too much for me to be holding, and I'm trying to hold it with one arm, and every time I go to one arm, it just sends me further lower. It's just like this. And so I was trying to get the strap loose. I couldn't get the strap loose. I ended up, I was using my foot and trying to hold the stand. I am in a bind, okay? This was difficult. I'm starting to sweat profusely. I'm beginning to feel, you know, some pains in my shoulders and stuff. It literally took me 10 minutes under that tree stand to finally get the strap loose where I could pick it back up. But I realized that what I needed to do was get a chair under that one leg. So while holding the stand, I had the chair that I had thrown out of it, and I'd throw the chair under the leg and get it caught. I think it's okay. I run out to the tractor. I grab the tractor. I'm exhausted. I'm, I'm, I'm now heavy breathing, okay? I'm a fat boy, I know. So I'm breathing badly. I jump on the tractor, I back the tractor up, and as soon as I turn and look, the stand begins to fall. And so I jump out of the tractor, I run over there, I grab it, and I realize I still can't hold this thing, and I lower it down to the ground. And when I do, when I say lower, I kind of dropped it, and it just fell to the ground. But I'm like, whew, all right, I am wore out. I'm, I'm literally gassed. And I'm like, well, we're okay, we got it down. I'm an idiot, but it's okay. So I hook the strap back up to it. I back it. I start backing up, and I drag the stand to where I want it to be. 
Now, I have the bucket on the tractor, and you have to be real careful because I don't want to hurt the stand. So I'm able to pick it up just about two or three feet off the ground, like right here, okay? And I get it right there, and with the strap, I just pull it up with a strap. And I'm like, you know, I don't know that I can pick this thing up, but I'm going to give it a shot. Well, I'm very stubborn. I'm, I'm a very hard-headed guy. And so on the first try, I got it to like here, okay? I mean, just right here, and then I gave out. And then on the next try, I got it to like here, and then I gave out. On the sixth try, I herniated this thing <laughs> straight up in the air and f- flipped it, and it stood up. And I was like, that's right. That's exactly right. Daddy still got it, you know? So I get out. I get this thing. I climb up in it, throw my chair. The chair, you kind of have to finagle. I got one of them real nice, you know, office chairs in it. And I finagle it and get it through the door, fight it in it. I get up. And I'm, I'm sweating. I'm tired. I'm war slap out. I get up in the stand. And I sit down. And look. And I'm about, I'm about one foot too far up. And the tree is blocking an entire field that I need to be able to see. I get out. I say, okay. I'm a little upset, a little mad. I talk to myself for a minute, walk around in circles. And then I'm like, well, I'll just move it one leg at a time. I start trying to move it. I'm not laying it down again. We done made that up. I start trying to move it one leg at a time. I can't even do that. I am so tired that it's just, I just can't do it. My hands are hurting. Everything on me is hurting. I can't move it one leg at a time. And I'm sitting there, and I hear a radio playing. I turn around, I go, you know, I got to set a forge for that tractor. I wonder if that worked. Take and drive the tractor over to the barn. I get this set of forks and inch them in a little bit. Walk up to the track, or drive up to the stand, slide them under it, pick it up right under the box. I could have drove this thing to Kentucky. I could have moved it where I wanted to. I'm not kidding. I could, have, I, could have, I could have hunted out of it like that. You have an amazing opportunity. Don't let God sit in the barn. Think about what you have. Don't be in such an all-fired hurry. Don't be so stubborn. Don't be so caught up in how good everything is going that you don't access him. We have a tendency to treat him just like that. Man, we got it. We're strong enough. We're tough enough. We can do it. I did it this way before. This works perfectly fine. And the truth is, If you don't involve him now, you're going to end up in a mess. You will be beat up. You will be tired. You will have hernias. Maybe. I hurt today, okay? It's your choice. You can involve him now or you can be cleaning up a mess later. And look, if you're in a mess, I want you to know. Involve him now. 
There's nothing wrong with that. If, you're, if you find yourself in a mess, if it's in your marriage or if it's in your finances or if it's in your family or in, with your children or some decision at work or any of this stuff, you're in a mess, go ahead and involve him now. But to you guys that are not in a mess yet, let me tell you something. You better make sure that he's a part of what you're doing. You better make sure that you are accessing him and talking to him and surrounding yourself with people who, who, who follow him. Because if not, I'm telling you, you will end up sitting in a chair across from somebody saying, I need help. Is that fair? All right, let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning. I thank you for each and every person that's here. I thank you for just how good you are. God, and I just pray this for every single person here, God, that you will give us the wisdom to involve you now. God, that you will give us the the mindset that we don't have to do this on our own. There's absolutely, positively, no reason that we should try to go about this life on our own. We are not smart enough to make the best decisions. We are not controlled enough or have enough self-control to handle ourselves in difficult conversations. We don't have a clue what we should do with our money, God. We can't be the perfect husband to our, our, our wife. We can't be the perfect wife to our husband without you. We can't raise our children. God, you know I say that all the time. I don't have a clue what I'm doing, God. Help us to just know that and to know that without you, we're going to probably make a mess of it and help us to involve you every chance we get. Because, God, then we know that it will be an absolute victory. God, and we'll give you all the glory. And it's in Jesus' name. And everybody says, amen. Thank you guys so much for being here this morning. I pray y'all have a great weekend, the rest of your weekend, and we'll see you next week. Love you. Bye-bye.